Hello and welcome to a follow-up episode of Talking With by Deltra. My name is Emma Fowler and today I'm back with Melanie Franklin to revisit the change trends of 2022 that we discussed in January. There isn't really a word to sum up 2022. Unprecedented seems too common now. The word of the year from Collins English Dictionary is permacrisis, which we talk about a little bit with Melanie, but I think the key thing with external factors is adaptability. With Melanie, we will look at the year and see what trends have rung true and if there's been any surprises within the change space. Previously, we discussed trends including data, change being psychological processes and the combining of roles in order to make teams more lean and efficient. Is that still the case? So without further ado, Melanie, thank you very much for joining us again at the end of the year. I can't quite believe it's the end of 2022 and we're looking back already. It feels like time has flown, but also so much has happened since we last spoke. Absolutely. Um, it's been fascinating going through. Um, we talked about five key trends. Um, around this time last year, I was starting to try and look ahead to what 2022 would give us. Um, I think we have to put it into the context, as many of my clients and your clients will have done, which is this time last year, we were looking at a more optimistic world. We were coming out of the pandemic. Um, we were starting to normalise. And the biggest thing that we were talking about this time last year, year at work was the difficulties of hybrid working. How is that settling down in your organisation? That seemed to be the big discussion. Um, after the Ukrainian invasion, we have seen that the energy crisis and then financial instability across markets and recession has perhaps dominated the conversations of this year. But this time last year, we weren't looking at that situation. Now I look into 2023, and I think it's fair to say that in many of our markets, if not officially in recession, I think the UK will be, uh, but there's still a depressed environment. There are still concerns over cost cutting. And I think that will um, shape the type of changes that people are undertaking. Um, there is still, uh, in the latest research I've been doing, a, a huge push towards agility. Um, and the flexibility that comes with that. But I think it's not just flexibility. I think it's also the need in this kind of environment to show we've made a difference quite quickly. And yes. I think an agile approach does that. So I just wanted to set that context because that's the journey I've been on in preparing for this discussion is just always think back, well, OK, we made some predictions, but what was the context in which we made those predictions and what's the context in which we're making the predictions for 2023? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's been so many different external factors to happen that we just weren't anticipating. And I think at the start of the year, you talked about change having a, a higher profile, potentially looking at crisis management. Do you think we've got better at that? Do you think communicating change has, has improved? I think that change continues to grow in recognition as a skill set, as a capability and as a function that organisations need. I think what we said uh, post pandemic was we were able to look back and realise that many of the changes we'd implemented very quickly, very successfully, weren't really change management. They were more crisis management and we did that very well. Change management is about how do we manage all of the initiatives that in totality give us that strategic shift. 
Um, what I'm seeing there is um, there's a couple of trends. Um, first of all, I think it's the volume of change continues to accelerate exponentially. And again, research that my own organisation has done in the last uh, couple of months frighteningly shows that every nearly every single respondent across every country and industry said the same thing. We just don't have the resources for the level of change that we are experiencing. In some organisations, that means that they simply just don't have the time and people are under tremendous pressure. In other cases, they don't have the skill set to be able to in-house manage the change. They're looking, therefore, for external consultancy requirements to help fill that gap. But everybody's in the same boat. They just got more ideas, more ambition. Um, And sometimes it's not ambition. Sometimes it is a frightening sort of um, addressing of issues that people weren't hoping for. Um, But in whatever guys change comes there's a lot more change than we've got the resources for yeah and I think there seems to be a a disconnect sometimes in priorities you know yes there is all this change and there are all these ideas that we could do and we could improve but actually looking at external factors looking at slightly further ahead are they going to be successful are they going to be to be worth doing um, and it's interesting you mention about uh, change managers, but also upskilling people, potentially upskilling, because that's something we mentioned at the start of the year, um, defining capabilities, but also being able to upskill the people where we can't have a change management resource. Um, have you seen that happen fairly regularly this year? Or Yeah, I'm seeing it's really interesting how organisations are just taking a very common sense approach, which is perhaps recognising that it's their, whether you call them people managers, line managers, middle managers, whatever we call that group of people who have teams working for them, we have to equip them with the ability to manage change because effectively they are managing both business as usual and the change elements. They Their role is very clear now that they not only have to manage their teams through the day to day workload and deliver the revenue and the results expected. But at the same time, they have to manage at that local level the the amount of ambition that's coming down on top of them, as well as their own teams coming up with ideas for how they could improve things. So I think that resource, that pool of people um, is now being sort of targeted Um, And that will bring me to something about how we describe change management in a moment. But my own experience has been that I have a huge number of clients who are asking me to build the capability for change in people that they don't have change management as a job title. They don't see themselves as change managers, but they are absolutely caught in the headlights of a huge amount of change coming at them. Yeah, absolutely. And they don't necessarily or organisations don't necessarily have the capacity to hire a whole new resource or a whole new team. So they need to look at ways of upskilling the existing existing programme managers or project managers to help with the change. And how are their team feeling? Do they understand why they're changing? What is that journey? Um, we've worked with quite a few um, people this year on that. And one person in our network actually wrote a book on a new methodology, um, Nicola Graham um, on 
on the B methodology, which was, you know, build, excite and equip. So, you know, training the right people and training people to, to understand why it's being changed, but also create a sense of urgency and, um, yeah, helping the teams to understand why the change is happening. I think increasingly, I, I, I love that idea of, you know, building the excitement and getting people involved. Mm. Um, increasingly, the ecosystem for change is actually quite a complicated picture because as programme managers are stepping in to that role and leading more on the transition um, from the old to the new ways of working, as project managers are encouraged to think about how their deliverables will be used, there is a blurring of the lines. Mm. Some people are resisting it. Um, in other organisations, it's seen as a natural and pragmatic response to a, a lack of resources. Mm. Um, you might have change managers or change agents working within the project team or maybe alongside the, the project manager dealing with the, the more structural changes, the tangible changes, is somebody dealing with the more psychological and behavioural changes. But certainly um, the ecosystem of who's involved. Now, I've just mentioned project and programme managers, but equally I spend my time talking to those who have the role of product manager or product owner who yeah. are looking at their, their overall sort of platform uh, the functionality that they are going to continue to develop and they're thinking well yeah I can do that but how are we getting people to use it and who is going to be the bridge between the developer side creating the functionality and the user side yeah and that I think is starting to to hit home that mm, probably can't leave that to chance probably needs to be managed um, I'm working with a group um, who are in the UK and the US. Uh, they have product managers, but they are actually the internal change team and they are trying to find their role, their relationships right. within that ecosystem. Um, equally, I've got clients who've set up um, and again, this continues to accelerate their own network of change champions or change agents, but they are line managers and they are thinking about, well, how do we change our ways of working? And for the first time, coming into a situation where they need to perhaps build more formal relationships with project and program managers and product managers, product owners. Yeah. So I think there there is a build out of the ecosystem. I think people are being assigned to roles, trying to work out what that means. And crucially, yeah, but who do I need to be talking to? Who am I going to be relying on the yeah. most? So, yeah, the the ecosystem for for change, I think, is is becoming. I'm finding it becoming more internally focused, mm. um, and it's wider. It's not oh, he does change or she's she's the change person, and just pointing at somebody and hoping for the yeah. best. Yeah. I, I think it's going through the layers. And I think it's going through the roles that change is becoming part of um, people's role. Yeah. And a lot of it comes down to the relationship that you have with these stakeholders as well and understanding not just for their role, what will change, but also how are they feeling about the change? And I think that comes back to something that we mentioned earlier in the year about neuroscience and the importance of that within change. Um, do you think that's been used as much as it could have been this year? 
Um, I, I think we're still at the early start of that journey. My experience has been that when I've done, for example, webinars on neuroscience, they have been the highest um, subscribed by a, a long way. Wow. Um, I also have found that, uh, and I was in a meeting about this this morning, that, that perhaps neuroscience is the way forward in that a couple of things. People want um, ideas, very practical ideas for how do I build a more trusted relationship? How do I become more empathetic? I get that it's the relationship. I get that we need to be trusted. Um, I get that I have to be more persuasive. Please teach me how to do that. And in doing that, I think the conversation I had this morning with somebody is that um, a lot of the theories and models of change are from at least middle of the way through the last century. Um, are they really fit for purpose? They give us some interesting insights, but a lot of that was on observational psychology. We now have neuroscience and from a about 2005, 2006, when we've seen an increase in our ability to, to work out what the brain is doing, because we can now use live brains and we can see yeah. in the moment what's being lit up in the brain. I, I think I'm certainly seeing this demand for whatever you teach me, Melanie, where's it coming from? And when I'm able to say, well, look, this is based on how the brain reacts. And every time I explain it comes from the world of neuroscience and the school of positive psychology, then people are going, OK, this is worth listening to. Yeah. So people, I think, are look, looking for very practical ideas, but they're looking for credible practical ideas. And if you come along and sort of say, well, I've got an idea. The first thing people go, where's that come from then? What's that based on? Where's yeah. the science? Because if you want to be taken seriously, I think we are in a world which says well hang on you've got a hypothesis but where's the evidence so whether you want to call that a, a data-driven culture or an evidence-driven culture but people are looking for where's that come from and I think the results and the research from neuroscience is very helpful in building the credibility around change so for my profession I'm very excited by it but on a very practical level I get why people are asking me much more for a neuroscientific interpretation of what they should do yeah. um, and nearly everything that I've written this year uh, every new course every new module that I've developed comes from the understanding of how the brain works mm -hmm. rather than just saying well maybe the, this will be quite useful. Yeah and it's having different approaches for different people different personalities as well and being able to adapt that perhaps an initial structure and adapting it to the different teams or the different stakeholders that are involved in the change. And yeah, it's it's interesting you mentioned about being data driven, because I think anecdotal and sort of stories that have come from your past experiences, they would be great in some situations, but to be able to back it up with scientific research and pure evidence with facts and figures, I think that seems to be a, a really important thing at the moment. Um, in terms of measuring success of change, is that where you would put data as well? Or I think we should, but I don't think mm. we are. I okay. don't see any significant move um, in this in this world this year. Uh, I think there's an, a growing awakening that perhaps we need to be better at evidencing the value that we create. Mm. But we're not. <laughs> um, and I think it's because what we do 
if we take uh, an effective manager of change, what they've really achieved is they've built the confidence and the willingness of somebody to go, okay, I'll try something new and different. Um, whether you're asking them to use a new platform, whether you're asking them to uh, try out a new process, you've built some confidence in there. Mm. The problem is, how do you measure that? I mean, that it, it's that implicit something that's happened. But how do I measure it? And I spend a lot of time in my benefits workshops taking those concepts and saying, OK, let's work through and we have to go through quite a few steps to do it. But let's turn that implicit. Oh, that was a good thing I did into explicit statements of what are you seeing happening then? Because if you can get through to an explicit statement, you can measure that. As an example, if somebody is more confident, then they feel reassured you've created a sense of psychological safety, whatever you want to, to discuss it as. I can then see that they will, they are faster at trying something out. There's more of them trying something out. Um, they are going further in the life cycle of whatever it is they are trying out because they're more re resilient, really. They're more willing to keep going with it. So when you start to deconstruct perhaps what confidence looks like, you can yeah. start to see some of the things that we could possibly measure. Now, every time I run that workshop, my clients are all going, oh, that's fascinating. And that's always a hint to me that it's no way near happening at the moment, because what I've just introduced is to them brand new thinking. And yeah. that is what you know, I host the continuous change community. Um, we have our networking events every month and we've done a couple this year on benefits. And although we're all trained change professionals, again, we all felt that we were in really new territory. Um, we feel very comfortable with neuroscience. But when it comes to the data, I would say that that is that's still much, much further behind, really, than anything yeah. else. And how do you think they or change professionals can upskill in that side, in the data driven side and how to identify what is useful data for them and what isn't? Well, I think you I think when we, whenever we start about upskilling, I think we have to sort of take a step back and go, well, what does that really mean? And when it comes to this, I, I think it's just that realisation. The first realisation has to be maybe anecdotal evidence is only going to appeal to those people who like the storytelling. Mm. It's just you have to start with a recognition that maybe we are only appealing to some of the population. And that is why change management sometimes doesn't get called in early enough. Mm. We are not convincing those that are more data driven that we have value because we're not producing the data that shows we have value. We could make an argument at this point that certainly in our knowledge economy, many of us have been involved in cultural changes, which are around an organisation becoming more data driven. So perhaps the proportion of people who need to hear the data about how effective changes are managed aren't getting it so maybe there's more of them and we in other words we're almost satisfying less of our audience than we ever have done and that's something we should look at but I want to also pick up on something about 
being a change management professional? Because one of the various pieces of research this year, and there's been some really interesting stuff coming out of LinkedIn, has been about um, how the term change management has become less relevant because it's so generic. Right. I went through the research on job descriptions um, provided by um, LinkedIn from 2015 to 2021, and just to compare and contrast, it was really interesting to see how change management was sort of falling across lots and lots of different roles. And I immediately sat up and went, what's happened? You know, where's all this come from? This is my profession. But when I dug into it, in one respect, I was deeply um, comforted because the term change management was falling in terms of the number of times it was used and referred to. But instead, you were getting far more specific. Yeah. So workshop facilitation, um, building credible, trusted relationships, cultural change, not just change. Yes. So there's a lot, I think, where people in the world of change management, maybe we are becoming a, a little bit more um, specific. We're able to get away from that generic bucket of change management could be anything it's a whole series of skills and the learning point from that I think is that we have to be more specific about the skills we have and we have to be more specific about how we will deploy those skills to achieve the objectives of our clients yeah I think that works for both when you're searching for a role but also when you're hiring for a role it's not just change is is it people change is it structural change um and what's involved in it is it a case of having you know you're you're dealing with lots of different stakeholders are you dealing with one specific stakeholder um how who is being supported by this you know is it from senior leadership or are they someone that you need to get on side um it's a challenge and i think it's a case of what we've found across our clients is that there is no set job title anymore it is just you know a technical program manager could be a change person but equally so could a business change manager and it's a case of looking at the actual duties and asking you know the hiring managers what is important for this role rather than just taking the assumption based on the job title. Well I spend a lot of my time asking people and I'm sure uh, and I I totally agree with what you're saying is that uh, what do you need me to achieve? Yeah. What would good look like to you? I don't even I don't even want them to give me a list of skills. I would Mm. like them to give me the achievements they are looking for. What difference can I make? It's from that that we can then work back and go, well, in order to do that, these are some of the things I'd need to concentrate on. And these are some of the things that I can I really wouldn't expect to be doing. I'm going to make an assumption here that you've got maybe a program manager doing this or you've got project managers doing this. Maybe you've got corporate communications functions doing this or learning and development doing that. Let's talk about the ecosystem that I will be a part of and let's just have a conversation to see if there are any gaps because the achievements you've asked of me are making some assumptions that other things are happening. I can make a lot happen, but I can't make everything happen. And I want to check before I take this job that all the other pieces are actually going to be in place. Mm. And if they're not, well, that's fine. We can have a conversation about how we fix that. But Mm. better that we do it at the start rather than me come to you at the end and go, well, I didn't achieve it and start pointing fingers of blame. Um, So I, I think that we have to have the confidence to have a more 
specific and detailed yeah. conversation um, about what's expected. And that brings me to perhaps uh, another point that um, in the continuous change community, we ended our event last week um, saying that our January event would be about um, how do we get the sponsor to perform their role? Um, and lots of stories were shared about sponsors not fully understanding their role. It's not just that they aren't prepared to fulfil it. It's just there seems to be a massive misunderstanding about how involved they need to be. The, there's an underestimating of their their involvement because their view perhaps when they look at this ecosystem of change is that there's plenty of people that can do all sorts of things but the championing um, and the profile raising and the strategic alignment um, and the encouragement we still need it from sponsors and I, I do wonder if uh, um, that trend of how if change management is evolving as a practice maybe this is a good opportunity to go back and ups, almost update the sponsors on what their role is and yeah. I think that is a, a rich theme for upskilling as well. Yeah and it comes back to communication doesn't it and having that transparency and clarity both at the start before anything begins but also throughout the process as well so you have those check-in sessions you have those sort of the, like you mentioned earlier sort of the agility to have those meetings and, and adapt where needed um, things change fairly quickly as, as we've seen over the last few months um, and one thing that we've mentioned previously is um, the introduction I guess of permacrisis and how we have to be consistently ready for change and something else to come up out of the woodwork that we weren't expecting. Um, do you see that becoming more and more important um, for both change and within projects programmes transformation? I think it's in, I know how incredibly popular across social media the term permacrisis has become. Yeah. I regret that because I think anything which has the word crisis in it and the word permanent yeah. is unfortunate because I think that that does give people the the feeling that uh, we're all doomed. Yes, causes um, panic, doesn't it? It does. But I, I recognise that what we will see, because nothing has slowed down, um, mm. is the level of change coming our way. Now, whether we call that dealing with permacrisis or we just deal with it as we've constantly got more ideas than we've got resources it it does come back to the the, the same issue which is that what we want is agility mm. and you can't have agility if we go back to that sponsor conversation you can't have agility unless you've got onboard sponsors who are willing to step in and realign the scope yeah. um, or reprioritize some of the things it comes down to you have to be in the moment if you're agile and if you are responding you have to be in the moment so the fire and forget i've launched this initiative and i might turn up a year from now to close it down and say well done everybody now that style of leadership that really doesn't fit yeah yeah and with um i guess looking slightly ahead now do you see I guess for us, we see neuroscience, we see upskilling, uh, building on capabilities as continuing to be really important. Um, the data driven um, areas rather than the anecdotal. Do you see any other changes or any other trends coming up? I think data and brains 
is yeah. where we can sort of summarise it, because um, when it comes to the data that has knock on effects ac across um, our roles, uh, sponsor roles, um, it has a change on some of our techniques um, for breaking down achievements into the measures where we can actually evidence them. And mm. I think the brains piece is that scientific application of how we engage with each other. Um, I I wrote a book about a oh, about eighteen months ago now, which had lots of neuro hacks in it, shortcuts responding to how the brain works. Um, and I I can see that it, it continues to be the biggest draw, the thing I'm I'm asked about most. And if I look at um, how that's playing out in the world, it's great to know that everything's driven by neuroscience, but there's one theme across all of it, which is in a world of such high volume change and so many changes, perma-crisis or not, hmm. practical, workable things that make a difference are, I think, head and shoulders above everything else. Theories and models, nice as they are, reading round the subject, nice as it is, I think it's becoming far less of um, a demand. I think people yeah. want to know, what can you do for me? How can yeah. you solve this problem? Have you had experience in this before? What if, what's your track record? What are your results? They yeah. want to know that they, they need help. We all yeah. need help. And we're less interested in... Um, people sort of talking around the subject they just cut into it what are you exactly are you going to do when are you going to do it who yeah. are you going to do it with yeah it's action speak louder than words isn't it and it's hasn't been more true than it seems to be today yeah I think practice I, I think cutting across everything um and we can see it in our own hiring we can mm. see it in terms of when we're working with effectively with people what's happening is that we feel that we are we're in a team with people who are also problem solving. I think this goes back to a much wider issue around in, in change management. We've talked often about hiring for early adopters, those yep. that are, are willing to to get in on board early with the change, try things out, experiment. And I think it goes to a, to a wider social piece. When you're under pressure, what you don't want to do is carry people. So those people who are very good at pointing out what's wrong, but want to do nothing about it, yeah. are going to be the ones left behind. Those people who can see there are issues and are stepping in with potential solutions. And again, it's that agile mindset. Let's, yeah. let's try it. Let's experiment. Let's learn from it. That I think is so it's just putting this conversation to a much wider movement. Uh, and when it comes to, to success at work. I think it's being able to evidence that you're that kind of person. And if you're hiring for people, keeping that in the back of your mind, I think changes how you write the role description mm. and you get away from that sort of list of bland responsibilities and you you get more specific because yeah. you're sort of saying, yeah, well, this is the areas I'm going to need you to fix. Yeah, it seems to be yeah data driven using neuroscience to understand how people are feeling, having that people approach and understanding what can you bring to the organisation and how will we measure success and what will success look like? But how do we get that from the capability of the person, not just a job title that we know we have sign off for or how do we work around that? Um, 
yeah no I think that that that's great and is there anything is there anything else that you think would be important over the next 12 months well I think you've just hit the nail on the head step underneath the job title yeah um whether it's you trying out the job or you're hiring for somebody step beneath it and be more specific I think in in terms of change management and, and how we actually do it um but I think that uh, the other piece is as I mentioned earlier, that we are going to increasingly have to deal with this volume of change. It's, out, it's almost out of control now. And perhaps that whole emphasis on what can you do for me? How can you solve this problem? Is the pragmatic response to that. It's the practical answer, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but definitely. Um, Melanie, thank you very much for sharing your insight. I think it's been a very interesting year. I think there has been a lot of headway with with neuroscience and with driving data for success. But equally, I think there is a long way to go, like you say. So it'll be interesting to see how 2023 goes and uh, what else will come up. We'll have a catch up in 2023 and see how this plays out again. Thank you Definitely. so much. Brilliant. Thanks, Melanie.